Welcome to the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast, where educators come together to discuss their journey on the road to financial independence. Now, please join our co-host, Dave and Brandon, as they prepare to help other educators get fit with their finances. Welcome and thanks for joining us for the Financially Independent Teachers Podcast. As we mentioned each week, we are always looking to expand our guest list. And if you think your story could help other educators and you'd be willing to come on the show, please shoot me an email at getfiteducator at gmail.com. Also, one of the ways we can spread hope to other teachers is by our guests leaving us a five-star review on whichever platform you listen. If you don't mind, please leave us a positive review or share the show with a friend We would greatly appreciate it. And I'm really excited about tonight's show, Coach Spies. We're going to be interviewing a former high school Spanish teacher turned administrator who became an everyday millionaire at the young age of 53. And with that, I would like to bring you onto the uh, show, Coach. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing really well. Uh, I can tell from the conversation that we had before recording tonight that Tonight is going to be kind of an old Stephen Covey begin with the end in mind episode. I think we're going to be, we're going to be getting, you know, I, I took that course when I was in college, it was a leadership course. And we, we read the Stephen Covey book and really examined all the principles and all that. And probably the principle that stuck with me the most was the begin with the end in mind. It resonated with me a little bit. And, uh, but it resonated with me with regard to teaching and coaching. I wish that it would have resonated more with me when it came to finances, but I did think that I was good to go with finances because I, I I knew I had a pension and we've talked about that before. We know we have a pension, but, but, but there's other things to consider when you're starting off in your teaching career. So I'm looking forward to uh, listening to Nancy's story and I know that we're going to get a lot out of it. Yeah. I'm really excited about it because, you know, we're up in the mid thirties as far as episodes go. And I don't think we've ever touched on this topic coach. So Tonight, the main theme of the show, uh, and we're very thankful to have Nancy coming on and being transparent, is basically planning for the unexpected, life insurance, estate planning, wills, you know, what happens if you were to lose a spouse as an educator, and and you're here to kind of pick up the pieces on one income, and maybe you have children, and what are you going to do when they go to college? So Nancy's been through this situation, and she's been kind enough to come on the show and hopefully help some of the other people out there. So Nancy, welcome to Financially Independent Teachers. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing fine. I'm really happy to be here and, and to share a little bit about my story. And if they help somebody along the way, you know, that's the main thing for me. Well, thank you so much for uh, helping all of us out. I know Brandon and I will take a lot out of this as well. Uh, if you don't mind just starting off and giving us a little bit of background as far as your education career, um, and then talking a little bit about your family. Yeah, sure. I um, started teaching. I was a little bit older. I was 28. So I I did the whole thing where I was working full time and then going to graduate school to get my education coursework done. Um, So I started teaching at 28 and I was a Spanish teacher um, in high school for about, uh, I did that for 14 years. And then an opportunity arose and I became a district administrator in the neighboring district. And I did that for 11 years. And so when I hit 25 years, 
I retired. I was, it was time, you know, so um, actually my role was a, um, I had a position called a curriculum coordinator. So it was a district level uh, position and I was the content uh, specialist and director for all the foreign language and ESL program in my district uh, of about 18,000 students. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. So when would you say, you know, obviously, you know, as we get into your money story here, uh, when would you say you first started become you, for, you first became interested in money and, and how it works and personal finance and all of that sort of thing? You know, I think I became, I just, it was always an interest of mine. And also, you know, your, your youth shapes those things. So, um, you know, as a, as a child, I remember, you know, my family, we didn't have a lot of money. And I remember my parents, you know, things were kind of tight and, um, and how well they managed. And I sort of thought, well, you know, I've got to be thinking about these things my, myself too. So it just really was always something on my mind. As soon as I became a teacher, I started with, you know, a 403B and, you know, just started thinking about what do, what do I want to do when I'm 53? You know, where do I want to be when I'm 52? So, so it really was part of a, you know, part of a lifelong, you know, interest. Do you feel like the journey to where you're at now financially for the young teachers out there, I think sometimes when you're starting at 28 or 23 or 25, whatever, you know, if you're doing hundred dollars a month or $150 a month into that 403B or 457, it seems like, gosh, I hear all about this compound interest thing. When is it going to kick in? Do you remember at what point you started seeing it start to pay off for you? Um, was it toward the end of your career or did it happen fairly quickly that, man, we're starting to see some traction here as a family? Right. So it, it started, um, you know, actually it kind of ties into the question about, you know, about my, you know, being married or single with, or with kids, because um, my late husband was very, very much a saver and investor. I mean, there was a joke. My mom used to kid him and and ask him, you know, if he still had his confirmation money and uh, things like that. So very, very much so, you know, being um, us being a couple, I really realized that, you know, that this is, there's a lot of growth there. Yeah. So he, um, and he was a, um, an aerospace engineer for Boeing. So, so he was a very smart person. And um, so I was like, well, he, he really is good with money. And I was very glad for that too. So it, the two together, it was a good match. So what did those conversations look like when you guys were talking about money? Was it, did you feel like you were learning or did you feel like it was, it was the two of you sitting down and, and really sharing a goal? I mean, how did that look, you know? Right. Um, I, you know, there was, it, there just was a very common understanding about how we would handle money and things like that. Um, so it, what was very helpful in, in the future of our relationship was that one thing he did not like to do was our taxes. He did not like to do the taxes. And I'm like, I don't have a problem with doing our taxes. So just sort of sitting down and having all that information and knowing about it was very, very helpful too. So then the conversations would sort of arise from, from that. Um, but we were both savers. So, 
you know, it was really not, um, we were just on the same page, you know, we really were. Doesn't that make a marriage so much easier when you don't have those money fights and, you know, you don't have one person going behind the back of the other, you know, the whole financial infidelity where people have secret credit cards and, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody went on a secret shopping spree or, you know, maybe they took a trip to Disney and put it on a credit card and you didn't know about it or something like that. Right, right, right. Yeah, definitely. So um, that makes a huge, huge difference. And I mean, you can negotiate that and make it work for you if it's not part of your, you know, not part of your relationship. But when it is, it just makes things a lot easier. So as uh, when you guys sat down and thought about your risk management plan, I always, I think the risk management plan is one of the most, imp- I mean, I don't coach in the same way that, that Dave does. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I don't coach at all really, but I do talk to people about their finances and, and we just have conversations. I, I think your risk management plan, like it's a great place to, one of the first places to start because a lot of people spend either too much money on their risk management plan. They could shop around and get better deals and, and things like that, or they don't have policies they really need to have. And you know, and I, and I'm kind of new to understanding really what's now, you know, what a person really needs when it comes to risk, man, their risk management plan. Um, when you guys sat down and, and talked about that, how did, how did your risk management plan evolve over time? Okay. So I, I, I assume you're, you're talking about, I haven't heard of risk management. So is that like, life so, so like just your insurance policies and, okay. you know, just, just the way that you, um, that you manage your, the yeah. risk that you take with, with your, you know, with your assets and with, Mm -hmm. you know, life insurance, all of those things. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and this is one of the things that I wish we had done better Um, because my husband died at the age of 48 and it was very, very sudden. Um, It was an accident and, um, you know, total surprise. And our daughters were 13 at the time. We have identical twins, girls, And so, and it was, so that was 10 years ago and we didn't really have those conversations and that was really dumb. (laughs) Um, So thank goodness him being a worrier and thing, you know, and, and frugal, you know, he, the, as far as the life insurance, you know, I, I did know that we had um, a policy that we had you know, kind of gotten together. He also had life insurance through work. Um, and so that was there as well, but it, it wasn't a deliberate conversation. And I wish we had, had done that. Um, when you think about life insurance, you know, you think of numbers like a million dollars, you know, that's such a, that's a lot of money. Well, if somebody earns a hundred thousand dollars a year, that's 10 years of salary. And so that's an important, you know, that's a conversation that really does need to happen. And it's better to do it sooner rather than later, even though it's a, it's, you know, it's a topic that people, you just don't want to talk about those things, but it really is important. Yeah. I think it's a really weird topic. Um, My wife and I, we actually have a financial advisor. I do financial coaching. I don't have any licenses or things like that, but like you're talking about Brandon, the whole risk management. I remember my, my wife was so, I don't even know if I want to say disturbed, but bored maybe when we had this financial planner in the first year and a half that he met with us, it was all about making sure your life insurance policies were right. 
that you had your three to six months emergency fund. My wife's like, this is boring. Like, why is this guy even wasting time with us? But, you know, sometimes the best offense is a good defense. And those are things that you've got to have conversations on. Um, You know, there's an argument out there of, should you have whole life insurance? Should you have term life insurance? You know, obviously everybody's different. Uh, An insurance agent might tell you a little bit different, but from what my financial planner has said, he's always said that, you know, say a 20 year term policy is a great place to start. And they generally say that you want to have 10 times your annual income. So if I make $50,000 as a North Carolina teacher, then I need to have a $500,000 insurance policy that if I were to pass away, you know, as Nancy said, that would at least cover 10 years of income for my wife. Um, because, you know, a lot of people like Nancy said, you're looking at as man, 500,000, that's a lot of money or a million dollars. That's a lot of money. But if your spouse makes 150 grand a year and you're counting on that, and you're assuming they're going to work the next 15 years. It's still, it's still not what they would have made if they were still alive and earning money. What do you think about that coach? Yeah. You know, so when it comes to the whole conversation between term and whole, I, I'm, I'm, I can't find a good argument for whole personally. And that's not me giving it advice. That's just me. I actually had a conversation with my um, insurance agent and um, you know, he, he talked to me about the reasons why someone might take out whole. And I didn't really go, I didn't, I just was trying to get information. So it wasn't a debate, but when he was talking about whole life, the, the only thing that kept coming to mind is, is yeah, but you could take that money and invest it. And it would be, the return would be much greater than the money that you're investing in the whole, you know, like for, like, for example, for a child that, um, you know, has just been born. Sometimes you'll take out a whole life insurance policy or something like that. But I, I always thought that term I've, I've always thought as I've been getting into this conversation, that term makes a whole lot more sense. It's, it's cheaper. And, um, and, and you don't, you know, you're probably not going to need all that insurance once you get older, but you'll sure need it when you're younger. And, uh, you know, to pay off a house, a mortgage that you have, or like you guys are talking about just then about, you know, somebody you're losing your spouse and you've just lost a lot of income. And, you know, when the rubber meets the road, I've still got to live my life here. I've got children, you know, how do I make this happen? A term life insurance makes a lot of sense to me, you know, personally. And I think, you know, just a good step for the listeners out there, you know, we have listeners at, at all different levels as far as where they're at on their financial journey. You know, if, if you're a single 25, 30 year old teacher, you're not married, you have no children. Personally, I don't really think that you even need to, to have a life insurance policy. Um, you know, I would continue to, you know, get out of debt, uh, get your three to six months emergency fund. But, you know, insurance is meant to replace your income for someone who's relying on your income. If you're single Absolutely. and you have no children, you don't really have a need for insurance. Now, the only argument I think you could maybe make is that the younger you are, the cheaper that term policy would be because for every month that you're alive, insurance is going to cost more and more because you're closer to death, you know, according to all the data, of course. So, you know, if you're a young single teacher with no kids, I wouldn't really worry about the whole term or whole life insurance at this point. But the moment that you get married or the moment that you have a child and there are other people relying and counting on your income, it is definitely necessary. And before we get Nancy back on, I know she's, she's got a lot to say about this. I'm sure, you know, I would start with my district level. As she said, her husband had insurance through his work, but how many teachers out there know whether or not they actually have some sort of a life insurance policy through the County that they work or through the district they work. A lot of teachers do have that, 
But I would argue that most teachers don't know what that is. I feel like the county that I'm in, I'm not even 100% sure. I feel like the county I am, I, I'm in, I think they have a $35 to $40,000 life insurance policy. So if I were to die as an Onzo County school teacher, even if I had no other policies out there, uh, my, my family would get about thirty-five dollars or $40,000, which would hopefully cover funeral costs and whatnot. But Nancy, I know we're, we're talking about stuff that we haven't had happen in our life. Can you give us any insight about maybe how helpful that insurance was as you're, as you're struggling with the sudden death of a loved one, dealing with twins at 13 years old, how much help, how much of a help was it to know that financially you guys were going to be able to make it? And that wasn't one of the worries that you had. Yeah, that's exactly the truth. Um, you know, as, as difficult as everything was, I always had in the back of my mind, you know, this is one less thing to weigh on my soul. You know, this is, I don't have to worry um, about finances or how am I going to pay the bills or, you know, how, you know, the future. Uh, and so that really was a, a huge, huge um, relief among, you know, in a very, very difficult time. Yeah. And the other thing I would mention about life insurance policies is to always, wherever you are in life, to make sure that your beneficiaries are up to date. Absolutely. As you yeah, have more children and things like that, it could change or you get divorced. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. The beneficiary uh, thing I, I, I went, I have, I've had to do that a couple of times. I've had to change, you know, who my beneficiary was and, uh, and go in there and, and take care of that. And I've always thought, man, if something would have happened before I got this done, <laughs> it would have, it would have been a, it would have been in, in, a, in, in some ways a bit of a mess. Coach, I appreciate so, you adding me on the policy, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're welcome, Dave. Um, so uh, what about, what about estate planning? Um, I know that that was a, kind of a part of your story here. I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, that's also very, very, very important. Um, so my story, as far as um, estate planning, um, is that, you know, thankfully there um, we did do a lot of investing in our 30s and 40s. And so um, it was sort of like we always lived very, very much below our means. And so my salary would pay all of our um, bills and, th and things like that. His salary went to the, um, he, he paid the mortgage and then the rest of it went to investing. And so so we were very deliberate about that as far as, you know, continuing to um, invest and keep that up during that for a, a good, you know, 17 years as a couple. And that also was another relief um, financially and enabled me to continue with my plan to retire early. Um, and so that was very helpful as well. Yeah. So how long after your husband had passed away, how many more years did you go in the education system? I went five more years and then I was able to retire. So that, that was good. Um, the, the state of Missouri has a pretty good pension, you know, and so uh, I knew that I could retire at that time and, and it would be, you know, it would not be a problem. So that was helpful. And you retired fairly early. Um, what age were you when you fully retired? Was it 53? 
Yeah. So I had 25 years in. So you started at 28, you retire at 53 years old, which I think a lot of teachers, you know, they, I would consider that to be pretty early. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you mentioned when we were emailing back and forth that you say that you tell everyone that you retired from work, but you haven't retired from life. What does that mean to you, to you, that quote? Yeah, I, I, um, I am able to do all the things or a lot of things that I couldn't do when I was working, like spend time with family and friends. Um, things like that. I mean, that that's really important. I volunteer. I um, I have a little part-time job. I, will, I supervise student teachers at a nearby university, so I'm still in education, and um, that's been great. I do, um, you know, I take care of my health. I exercise. So, you know, a lot of you know, things like that. And I love to travel. So I've been traveling a lot. That's important. Uh, you know, this show is all about being financially independent and taking care of yourself financially. But I think when you do take care of your finances, it opens up so many other avenues as far as creating time to work out, to be able to go buy the healthy food at the grocery store, to not only spend time on your, your, your financial side, but your physical, your mental, your spiritual. It's amazing what that can do. And now you get to do, as far as your job goes, you get to do what you want to do, probably when you want to do, how much less stress is there in your life now that you don't have the pressure of working in the public school system and the, and the, the grind that that is? Yeah. The, the amount of stress, it's hard to explain, but you know, everybody talks about how when teachers retire, they look younger. <laughs> and, yeah, and I think it's because, you know, you, you don't have all of that element of stress, even if it's, something that you enjoy doing. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's so much less stress. It's, you know, I've really, really been able to just kind of let it all go. And it's, it's been great. You know, we oftentimes hear people say, and we, this is a big part of what we address on this show. We hear people say that you can't build wealth as an educator. And here you are 28 to 53. You, you know, you became an everyday millionaire. Um, you know, uh, uh, could you talk just a little bit about the prospects of a person going into education and being able to build wealth, maybe not become an everyday millionaire necessarily, but, but building wealth and being able to become financially independent? Um, yeah, I th- and I think that's one of the things that really I've enjoyed listening to your podcast because, you know, you, there, you have so many examples within your podcasts. Of, of the formula. It's, it's really is a formula where it's about being intentional. It's living below your means. It's about not, um, not getting into debt, you know, um, and it's about, you know, I, I just, you know, the idea, I mean, you know, my daughters were driving a 1998 Toyota Corolla. I mean, it was, that was the year they were born you know, and they were in high school and college. So, you know, it's just about, you know, living, you know, and then investing wisely. And even that little bit will continue to grow and grow. Would you say that, uh, obviously this is kind of stereotyping, but when you think back in your career in education, and obviously you're still involved with it, have you noticed kind of the defeatist financial attitude that maybe some teachers have? Was that prevalent? where you were outside of St. Louis, do you think that's normal? The whole, woe is me, we're a teacher, um, we're not going to make it financially, we don't get paid enough. Was that something that was prevalent where you were teaching? 
There, yeah, there is some of that. And, and the interesting thing is that it is all kind of relative because um, I was fortunate enough to be working in, in a, a better paying district. Um, so I, a lot of the teachers, um, I think, recognized that. So that was helpful. And, um, you know, so there is some of that. I think it also sort of relates to uh, some a person's attitude towards spending and lifestyle and, and you know, and so it's about getting all of that, uh, getting all those expectations kind of at a, at a realistic level. So is there anything that we're missing right now about your money journey that you really feel like you need to or would like to get across to our to the listeners here? Um, the one thing I would like to share um, as far as the whole situation about planning for your future is the importance of having um, a will or a living trust. Um, you know, a will is okay. I think a living trust is a better option. And um, again, it's one of those things where you, you don't want to sit, sit around and say, okay, we've got to do this. And it's not comfortable to talk about. Um, but statistically, it's very likely to happen. And it's better to be prepared that you'll lose your spouse. And it's better to have everything taken care of, you know, beforehand. Can you explain the difference to the listeners of a living trust and a will and how they're similar and how they're different? So they, they are similar as far as they address your wishes after you pass on. Um, my understanding is that a will is more about um, if you don't have a lot of wealth or a lot of assets, a will is okay because it's sort of like, okay, you know, I've I want my, you know, silver tea set to go to, you know, my niece or something like that. Um, a living trust is helpful because it, it establishes um, the fact that all of your assets will then go to your living trust and you can change your living trust easily. And then it just affects everything that you have as an asset. So for example, my my home is actually like titled to my living trust. So if I pass away, that whatever my trust says will happen to my home instead of having it in a will or something like that. Yeah, I think you make a really good point. This is an uncomfortable subject for most people, especially when you're a young couple and you have little kids, you don't want to think about the worst case scenario. And especially, it obviously depends on your area and it depends on the lawyer and whatnot. But for most people to have a, a living will, at least in our area in Eastern North Carolina, you're looking at probably four to $800 to sit down with an attorney and draft this up. So when you have a young couple, maybe they have student loan debt, especially if they're young teachers and they feel like they're not really making a whole lot of money. Now they've got daycare costs. A lot of people view this as, well, this is the last thing that I want to do. We can't even barely afford to, to take our family on a little summer vacation, let alone sit down for $800 and come up with a living uh, trust, but I think it's definitely worth it to me. This, as Brandon said, this is all a part of risk management. And I know that when we sat down with our attorney, I had no clue about this stuff. Uh, the advice that he had given us, uh, because we have two young children was basically, okay. Um, you know, let's say that you were to pass away and your kids are 16 years old. 
Do you really want them to have access to all of your assets as a 16 year old? And they've never even had a job at the local grocery store yet. Um, and we said, absolutely not. And the lawyer had said, what he had suggested is that at age 18, maybe there's an X amount of dollars that goes to the children. Uh, and I think what we, what we had established at 18 was like maybe $2,500. And then at 21, it increased to like $5,000. And then it went all the way up to 35 years old. So even if we were to pass away, we would want our kids to have that life experience that they've had some ups and downs, and hopefully they're a little more mature to handle uh, a situation like that versus just giving them everything, which I think to me, that's what the will is. Okay. This all goes to my son. This all goes to my daughter and the age and none of that stuff really matters. Right. Right. So when, um, my experience was that my husband did not have a will or a living trust. And so a lot of the assets, my name was on as well. So that was okay. But there were some things that he had before we got married at the age of 30 that, you know, there, I wasn't, there wasn't a beneficiary. So I, we did have to go to probate and it, that costs a lot more than drawing up a living trust. And it was, you know, so it was, you know, a time, it was a very arduous um, process going through probate, meeting with the lawyer, getting all the paperwork together. Um, and it just, it would have been nice to not have that added stress at that time, but it, it happened, you know. And how long did that all take to sort through that? Is that like a year in the courts or? It's so that took about a year. And then, you know, a lot of people assume that when somebody dies that, you know, if there's no, you know, it just goes to the spouse. Well, you know, it goes to this half goes to the spouse and then the other half goes to the children. So my daughters had half of it until they turned 18. And so every year I would have to submit to the court paperwork. And so that was another couple. So probably, uh, you know, I listen as I'm listening to your story, you know, obviously, um, you know, that was a pretty rough time. You know, emotionally speaking, you don't want to have to go through all of that in addition to, you know, what's going on. Um, and so, you know, obvious advice being, you know, to plan ahead and to, and to think ahead, you know, two steps ahead. Uh, if you could go back and just kind of put it all in a nutshell, what, what, what would be the steps that a, maybe a younger couple might make starting, you know, maybe even in their twenties or maybe when they first have children, when it, whenever that starting point is, what would you say are the steps necessary in order to, just to kind of sum that up on what they need to, what they need to do to make sure they're prepared against any sort of catastrophe like that. Um, yeah. So I would say the, the first step is to make sure that both spouses know everything there is about your finances, you know, about both of, both of you. So even if it's one person's jam and it's not the other person, but you, so there's that, just being aware. So, and that, yeah, that can be, you know, ongoing conversations. Luckily, like I said, I did our taxes, so that helped a lot. Um, so that's the, you know, the first step uh, is that awareness, that knowledge. The second step is to make sure that both the names of both spouses are on everything that you own, including, um, bank accounts, um, you know, we had separate bank accounts, but we didn't have each other's names on them. So everything that was in his bank account, 
had to go through probate. So um, if that would have been an easy step to do, but we were just, you know, it was like, oh, it'll be, you know, we're, we're doing good, no problem. Um, but that would have been very helpful. So, you know, just everything that you own, that your beneficiaries are up to date, that the names on everything, you know, include each other. Um, and then you actually don't even have to have necessarily a living trust if both your names are on everything. Um, so those types of things are important. Um, the life insurance piece, it's, it's important to be really deliberate about that and really thoughtful. Um, and just another little thing is that to make sure that, you know, you have um, each other's account passwords for all your accounts that you have. Um, because if it's something really sudden happens, a lot of, um, you know, a lot of business is done online and through accounts. So it's, um, you know, that type, that is a very important piece as well. I'm going to uh, jump in here, Nancy, really quick mm -hmm. and, and kind of add on to that. This is a great list. Um, I've often heard financial people talk about something Brandon called like a legacy box. So mm -hmm. if you had some sort of a safe uh, in your house, you know, you have all of the, the usernames, the passwords, you have a list of every bank, um, every brokerage um, company where all of your transactions are taking place. And that's one reason why I really like Mint as well. Um, my wife doesn't really like to keep up with this stuff, but I'm like, hey, babe, if anything were to happen to me, just log into my Mint. I'll give you the username and password, of course. And it tracks every single one of our things that calculates our net worth. So she can see all the different places that our money is spreading. So I think a legacy box is yes. a really good idea to, to be fully transparent. And even if the house were to burn down or something crazy, you have it in that safe and you'll always have that information uh, tucked away. Well, Nancy, I really appreciate you being on the show and sharing your story. Was, um, was there anything else that you wanted to share? before we, uh, before we kind of sign off here? Um, I guess really, uh, you know, kind of one, one last thing, and it's not necessarily financial related, but um, just the fact that, you know, it's important that when you lose somebody you love, that you, um, it's important to have things in order and to go on and, live the best life you can and really, you know, live the life they can. Yeah, I think that's a great positive attitude. And obviously based on everything that you've done since the tragic passing of your husband, it sounds like you're doing really, really well and you're staying busy and you're taking care of yourself. And I'm sure that also helps with the healing process. Um, just keeping yourself busy and not sitting around. So we greatly appreciate it, guys. Uh, Brandon, thank you for always joining me as an awesome co-host. Nancy, thank you for reaching out and being a listener. We, we hope that you continue to listen to the show. And I just want to add one other thing with the life insurance. I was kind of thinking in my head, for those who don't think they can afford life insurance, I think like a term policy that my wife and I had when we got married 10 years ago, I think we each had like $500,000 on each other for like a 20 year term from like 28 to 48. And I think that was like $300 a year. So, you know, for $300 a year, you have $500,000 of coverage if something were to happen. But again, as you said, you've always got to be, you know, changing those beneficiaries. If things happen as you add children and you also have to, to potentially adjust those policies, you know, 
if you get married and you're young and you're making 50,000 a year and you're like, Hey, let me get 10 times our income. And we're up to 500. And then your spouse goes into administration and maybe now they're making double and they're making a hundred thousand a year. That 500,000 is not going to be enough for your spouse. that's making a hundred thousand a year. So this stuff is flexible. It's fluid. Um, I would always go back and revisit it every 24 to 36 months. So Good. Nancy, thank you so much. Um, we appreciate you coming on and thank you to all the listeners who joined us for the financially independent teachers podcast every week and never forget that someone is sitting in the shade today because they planted a tree a long time ago. Take care, everybody. Thank you.